Joining us for further analysis on it playing itself out on that market scene is Richard Court from Argon Asset Management. Richard, always a pleasure and a good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you too, Alexander. All right, Richard, we see the RAND. Uh, it's some joy, isn't it? Uh, it's not what we're hoping for, but it's better than what we've seen over the past. What is driving our currency at this point? Uh, a very good question, a very difficult question <laughs> to answer, really. Um, so at the moment, I think uh, just where C- South African CPI is at about 4.8%, which is within the range that the Reserve Bank has, has sort of guided for. Um, looking overseas, I do think um, there's a lot of uh, drivers from from more developed markets on our on our currency and on our um, and in our inflation in terms of our energy costs. So I think just the general like like global market looking at the U.S. Um, maybe with expectations around um, U.S. interest rates having peaked um, and and with the possibility of rate cuts um, that. You know the the risk to um, our inflation from importing um, inflation is maybe diminished a bit, so hence why the rand might be strengthening. We do have a CPI a print coming out uh, later this week. I'm keen to find out if there's any expectations uh, from there uh, where South Africa is concerned. What we did see is really steep fuel price increases, and of course, of uh, course, that has a way of feeding into uh, everything else. Absolutely, yes. I mean, like energy, energy cost definitely does fall and uh, sorry, flow into like all our other costs and into inflation. So, as you say, we have seen like the oil price um, roof. It came back a bit about last week. I think it's about eighty-three or eighty-four dollars a barrel, but it's back up again at just under ninety dollars. Um, so that will that will come through. Yeah, we're not the only country in the world that um, is sort of facing this um, hmm, uh, facing this concern. And in the EU, there they've got. They've uh, factored in lower oil prices into their CPI forecast. So everyone's keeping a very close eye on the oil price, especially with what um, with all the conflict that's taking place in in the Middle East. Um, so we just have to keep an eye on it. It's, we're not um, fans of making predictions. We don't like to make a forecast. But um, the moment it, it seems to have settled a bit compared to what it was say, a month ago. Let's also uh, touch on what we can anticipate from the U.S. earnings season, uh, Richard. Keen to get your thoughts here. To date, we've actually seen, uh, you know, companies uh, that are evidence of a very strong U.S. economy, uh, you know, and it's, uh, we've even heard some analysts say that the only thing that's going to bring down the necessary uh, slowdown to the U.S. economy is a fully-fledged recession. I'm keen to get your thoughts here because, of course, there is the other school of thought that says interest rates have peaked um, and inflation should come off uh, in a much and be more manageable for the Fed. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are going to be looking at the U.S. earnings season mm. just to try and get some sort of read-through into mm. the U.S. economy. So that, as, you, as you rightly say, unemployment is still very low in the U.S., I think like 3.8%. Um, and, and the Fed has that dual mandate of, looking, of keeping price stable as well as um, trying to look after employment numbers. Um, so I think everyone's going to be trying looking at earnings to sort of see or to try and get a sense of the the state of the U.S. economy in general. Um, for one thing, yes, interest rates might have peaked, but the thing is, um, the cost of of funding, the cost of debt in the U.S. has almost like, doubled in the last two years, and that should, has to have an effect somewhere. Um, whether it's uh, you know cuts in terms of capex because they cannot quite, no longer for capex um, uh, plans. Or the hurdles have now risen, and therefore capex plans get uh, sidelined. Um, all these things have like impacts on on employment and growth. Um, so I think that's what uh, people will be trying to keep their their eyes out on for. 
Also interesting is we are expecting uh, results to come out of Goldman Sachs. And while I'm not really uh, interested in the, the nitties of a Goldman Sachs, one thing that uh, is a huge indicator for a Goldman Sachs is deal making in the United States. Uh, and I'm wondering from your perspective if, uh, you know, a pullback in deal making is also evidence of a slowing economy in the United States. Or is the M&A environment there a little bit uh, robust um, and that would be hard to gauge from what happens with a Goldman Sachs' earnings? So what I think, what I can comment on, mm. on to answer your question, mm. is I think just with the cost of funding having risen, mm-hmm. just it makes the hurdle for doing a deal a bit harder. Actually, like significantly harder, because like as I said, like the cost of funding has risen um, quite considerably over the last two years. So I think um, what it might allude to is just maybe a retraction of credit or like a, um, or a slowdown in credit expansion in the in the US, which might speak to possibly um, a, a recession coming. Keen to touch on China now. Today is a D-Day for some of Country Garden's debt. What are your thoughts here, Richard? We are obviously waiting to hear something from uh, government because I'm not sure where else uh, assistance for Country Garden could come from. <laughs> I, think, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, so like today is the end of the 30-day grace period for Country Gardens. It's the international debt, so it looks like it, it seems like they're going to miss a payment and therefore default on the international um, international bonds. Uh, like Country Garden, for those who are not familiar with it, is like the, it's the largest private property developer in in China. It's roughly uh, like two thirds the size of of China Evergrande. Um, which is the the, the large SOE um, or like state-owned property developer. Um, so this has proper repercussions um, for for the the Chinese property sector. It also just adds to the negative sentiment. Um, China China Evergrande sort of defaulted back in 2021, um, and at the time, you know, commentators thought like you know, the private property developers might be able to um, isolate themselves from any sort of fallout. Now that's proving not to be the case. Um, so it does just add to the to the narrative or the story about this uh, this this escalation in 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 the downturn in the Chinese property sector, and maybe it's spilling over into other sectors such as like the local um, local government's uh, balance sheets, as well as like in the shadow banking sector. Um, so so yeah, it's definitely not good news. Um, but we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens the rest of today. And of course, uh, we are still waiting or uh, anticipating uh, growth uh, GDP data for the third quarter coming out of China tomorrow. I'm keen to find out uh, where uh, you are uh, hoping or expecting it to be, uh, you know, Richard. Um, of course, it's hard to gauge a single number, but uh, all the different uh, metrics that feed into that number haven't been good over the period. That's right. Um, a lot of just following on from our conversation mm. just now about the Chinese property sector, like a lot of commentators have been calling for government intervention in the property sector, but it seems like there has been a lot of uh, liquidity and funding being pushed into the manufacturing sector in China. Mm. So that might be like a bit of a positive surprise in terms of these numbers that get released. Uh, I think you always just need to be careful about looking at one large, like high level number, such as the GDP, um, GDP number. Um, uh, the, there's yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, moving parts in that number, and you just have to like uh, dig down into it. Well, Richard, I'm keen to get your stock pick in a bit, but first, I'd like us to reflect on counters that have found favour with your industry peers. United Health, uh, 
uh, offshore U.S. company. Uh, they did come out with their numbers on uh, on Friday. I think it's a stock I might have mentioned before. They're in that clearly in the healthcare space, um, and uh, I've likened them also to the sort of the discovery type uh, company in uh, in America. But uh, good results. I think a quality growth company that uh, you know deserves a place in any offshore portfolio. My stock pick is Life Healthcare. Uh, the company recently came out with an announcement around the sale of their AMG operations uh, in the UK. They're going to be getting close to about £910 million uh, for the sale. Uh, part of the proceeds of that will be used to give you a special dividend of close to about 580 which is quite lucrative when you when you consider the share price is close to about 1950 so about 30% in the dividend. Uh, the sale will also allow them to de-gear the balance sheet. It will drop from about two times gearing to about one, one times net to EBITDA. And it gives them flexibility to fund uh, further growth in SA as well as uh, the offshore acquisitions. Uh, if you comp it against Netcare, it's still cheap on an SA operations point of view. And you've still got optionality in terms of further shareholder returns, either via uh, further dividends, special dividends, as well as a buyback program. So I think it's it's quite a nice, uh, what we call asymmetric return, where you've got a semi-flow in the, in the valuation and nice upside uh, should they be able to execute on the other growth initiatives. We are going with African Rainbow Minerals, so a diversified mining group. I think uh, perception is that they're heavily focused in the PGM space, <clears throat> where they do have a number of uh, large projects in the pipeline, but those are going to take uh, some time to come to fruition. But uh, have a lot of iron ore. They have coal in their portfolio, uh, some nickel. Uh, so it's actually more broadly diversified. It's screening fairly cheap on a net asset value basis and uh, against its peers. And uh, yeah, there's been a tough space to be uh, year to date. But um, a lot of the, the bad news is in the price. And I think it is a low base and uh, for the medium term can, can certainly deliver from here. All right, Richard, keen to get your thoughts on some of those counters. We have United Health, uh, it's an offshore one, uh, Life Healthcare, as well as African Rainbow Minerals. Sure. So uh, we're not familiar with United Health in the US, so I don't think uh, it would be responsible for us to comment. So I'll pass on that one. Mm -hmm. But um, we actually share uh, similar um, thoughts as your as your other um, as the as the guests who made those comments. So we also like Life Healthcare, um, just with the disposal of AMG. Um, a lot of the debt, a lot of the group debt um, on a consolidated basis was sitting in AMG. So the disposal of that uh, makes the balance sheet of, of life healthcare a, a lot stronger. Um, as your guest mentioned, like a little over one times net debt to EBITDA, um, because the South African business wasn't very highly geared. It was actually, um, a very cash flow, uh, generative business. Um, in addition, uh, post the disposal, life healthcare will be a lot more, a lot less, sorry, a lot less capital intensive because AMG was more capital intensive or a more capital intensive part of the business. Um, so we actually think, um, or well, this combined with the fact that from a, the industry point of view, we don't see any more beds or any more private hospitals being built. So what this means, we think that the, the, the rump of the, the, of life, the healthcare being the South African hospital business can be very cash flow generative, um, which bodes well for shareholders. Um, just we actually wonder whether it was necessary for the company to retain like 102 million pounds, which is approximately 2.3, 2.4 billion rand for growth initiatives. We thought that it would be very possible to, to fund whatever growth initiatives or any acquisition they want to do out of um, the free cash flows generated from the South African hospital business, um, which means we thought, you know, they probably could have uh, returned more capital to shareholders. Um, so that's a bit, uh, 
you know, that's a little disappointing. But um, but overall, I think it's a good result for shareholders. Can to get your and then, uh, yes arm. And then, Yes, I'm um, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, um, so in general, we actually are underweight at the resources sector, but we are overweight a few counters. One of them is, is ARM. Um, the reason why we like it is, well, the share price has fallen a lot. I think it's been painted, or sorry, yeah, painted the same price as the PGM producers because it does have uh, PGM exposure. Um, but relative to the pure play PGM producers, it's looking uh, cheaper than what they are on a free cash flow and a, and a dividend yield basis. Um, and that's, and on top of that, the balance sheet is quite strong and robust, and they do have some, um, expansion projects that we think will, um, yield value down the line. So we actually, it's, it's one of our, our preferred, uh, picks in the, in the sector. All right. And I'm keen to get, uh, which counter you're going with today. And we're going with British American Tobacco. Um, British American Tobacco has been, the share price has been under a lot of pressure over the last year. The reason for that has been that the volumes of combustible cigarettes have, have, have disappointed. The, the expectations for them always to decline as less and less people start smoking, but the rate of decline actually picked up in this last year. Um, the, the, the line of thinking around, um, tobacco companies is that the new generation product should eventually um, contribute and offset some of the decline in in revenue from from falling uh, combustible sales. Uh, but that narrative took a bit of a hit last week when the when the FDA announced a marketing um, let me get this right a marketing denial order mm. um, to which on some of their flavored uh, next generation products. Um, so the market didn't, uh, yeah, didn't take to that news too well. However, like the company has gone to the courts for a stay of enforcement, um, and will continue, or hopefully will continue to, to sell the products for the next 12 to 18 months while this is going through the courts. Um, it, it's the regulatory risk around tobacco companies has been around for a long time before easily three maybe even four decades um it's just something that overhangs these these companies and if uh, it's something that one needs to get to uh, to terms with if you're going to own them um which is looking at the valuation of british american tobacco we take a lot of comfort in a like a almost nine percent dividend yield and like a six times earnings so that's why it's one of our, our larger holdings in the portfolio Oh, Richard, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us today for our markets analysis. Uh, that was your midday markets update with Richard Court from Argon Asset Management.